Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Hey, so we're going to start this talk out. Actually, we're uh, beginning. I've, I've invited Brandon. Brandon uh, Erdley has been serving with us and be an intern for us for several months now and asked Brandon to introduce uh, this talk. Uh, Brandon, also, you should know, I didn't say this in the first hour, but uh, you should know not only is he interning with us, but he's actually in Watch Care membership with us as well. He wants to be a part of us uh, during this season. So, Brandon, come up here and just uh, share with us. Thanks, Tony. Well, with all the panic that our nation's been experiencing, you'd think that uh, some people think the coronavirus is one of the plagues that God sent upon Egypt. <laughs> uh, as Tony said, we're starting off a new series today called Only God. It should be on the screens pretty soon. And uh, this first installment is called Only God Can Rescue, and so that's the point of our talk today. And I want to do something a little uh, non-traditional to start us out, uh, call it a, a talk, a performance, uh, whatever you want to call it. But um, I've entitled this Fears of a Slave. Uh, I hope that you enjoy it. I can't think of any words to describe the past few days other than miraculous and terrifying. After the plagues, Moses told us to pack up as quickly as we could, but quick wasn't quick enough. We didn't have any time. The Egyptians were literally thrusting their gold upon us, throwing their jewelry at us, begging us to leave Egypt. I couldn't blame them. I don't know how I would have reacted if I had lost little Isaac or, or Benjamin. None of us have ever experienced anything like this. The Egyptians are so afraid, but so are we. After, after everything, after the, I mean, God, gods, gods do things all the time. Ra moves the sun across the sky every single day, but, I mean, make it go dark for three, snuff it out, make it go dark, unheard of. Not to mention the, the insects, the boils, the hail, the frogs, the diseases, the, the firstborn. I've never seen a god do anything like any of this. Why Pharaoh wouldn't let us leave before then? I don't think I'll ever know, but I mean, honestly, I don't feel like I'm in the know about much of anything these days. I'm in completely uncharted waters here. I'm in over my head. I feel like I'm drowning. Moses told Pharaoh that we were only going to be out here for a little over a week. Three days out, time to sacrifice, three days back. It's been over two weeks already. We should have gone back, but... but this, this pillar of cloud, this God, this pillar of cloud and fire that we've been following, it hasn't even let us stop to sacrifice like we thought we would, like Moses told us we would, like, like Pharaoh thinks we're out here doing. He's a harsh taskmaster. Ruthless doesn't even begin to describe it. I want Isaac and Benjamin to be alive next week, but Moses just keeps leading us further and further out. And now, now we're butted up right against the shores of the Dead Sea, Nowhere to go. We're going to have to backtrack and go around if we want to go any further anyway. And I'm beginning to think, I'm scared, okay? I'm, I'm, scared, I'm scared that Moses, I'm, I'm scared that maybe Moses might not have any idea what he's doing. 
and that maybe as God doesn't either. There, I said it, okay? We've just been wandering aimlessly across this wilderness, no end goal in sight, no direction. Where is this God taking us? Does he even have a plan for us? Do you think, do you think that maybe that's why we practically ran into the sea? Is this God still trying to figure out where he's taking us? Oh my God, that's it. We didn't even bring enough food and water for more than a few days and... Shalom, little Isaac. Hey, um, where's your brother? Okay, can you, can you go off and play? I'm kind of busy right now. I'm talking to some people. So uh, maybe you could... Okay, 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 okay. S slow down, buddy. It's okay, it's gonna be okay. Whatever you're scared about, it's nothing to worry about. It's gonna be okay. I just need you to slow down. Isaac, hush. Um, um, uh, hush, please. I'm sorry for raising my voice. Did you, um, did you say the sand was crawling? The sand was crawling, that's what you said, right? Um, okay, no, 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 okay, not time for talking. Okay, how about this? Instead of you trying to explain to me, um, maybe you could just show me what you're talking about. Uh, that would be great, okay. Come on, go on, buddy, you can do this, okay? I'm following, okay, go on. Yes, uh, that hill in the distance, yeah, I see it. It's kind of hard to miss. Uh, but uh, but what do you mean? What do you mean? Wait, what is that? Is that? Oh my God! No 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 no! Oh, okay, <laughs> Isaac, Isaac, Benjamin, Benjamin, Isaac, come here. Okay. okay. Benjamin, where are you? Oh my God! Okay. okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, buddy. I'm, I know I'm scared. Don't cry, don't cry. It's gonna be okay. Um, okay, fine. Think, 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 think. No time to panic. No time to panic. Um, find Benjamin and run. Find Benjamin, run, run. There is nowhere to run. Okay, Caesars are back. We're cornered. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Um, think, think. Don't panic. Shh. It's okay, buddy. Um, hide. You've got to hide. You've, you've got to. You've got to hide. You. We can't hide. There is nowhere to hide. We're, we're all going to be slaughtered. Oh my God, they just keep coming. There's so many of them. Oh my God, they just keep getting closer. We're all going to be slaughtered. All of us. God, oh my God, oh my God. No, this can't be happening. This can't be how it ends. This can't be how it ends. God, this can't be how it ends. It can't be. Fear not. What do you mean, Moses, fear not? They're right there, his entire army. Oh, I knew that we should have gone back after three days like you said we would. Oh my God, we, should, we could have just done our sacrifices here and gone back, but, but no, you weren't satisfied with that. You and your, your delusions of grandeur. Oh, why, Moses? You, why didn't we just go back? We're going to die here in this wilderness. Why did you lead us out here? Is it because there were no graves left in Egypt? We could, have just, we could have just done our sacrifices and gone back. No, no. You, you and your God, you and your, you and your fraud, that's what he is. You and your fraud turned the Nile to blood. You wanted to play the hero. You killed that Egyptian all those years ago, and now, way to go, hero, you've killed us too. You killed, you turned the Nile to blood, and now, now my blood? 
my spouse's, my children's? You never cared about any of us. You just wanted to live out your fantasy of being a leader and you let us out here, you let us on only to crush our hopes. You know what? You know what, Moses? I know why it's called the Red Sea. I know, it was a prophecy. It is, it always was. Our blood, I know why it's called the Red Sea because our blood is going to turn to crimson. Oh my God, oh my God, Moses. God, no, God, no, God, no. God, I don't know if you're a fraud. I don't know if you don't have a plan. I don't know if you're powerful or not, but God, if you can do anything, do something. God, do something. God, save us. Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord that he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see here, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you and you, de you need only to be silent. Northbridge, let us pray. God, when the world is crashing down around us, when our wisdom proves paper thin, when our logic, our know-how, our endurance, when all of it fails us, when we're drowning and we've reached the end of our rope, God, when money can't save us, when our charisma can't dig us out, when our willpower breaks and our leaders fall short, when sin and death appear to reign supreme, God, remind us of our helplessness, of our frailty, and by your strength, rescue us. By your grace, provide us with a commitment to pray long before we have no other recourse. And by your grace, provide us with a humility that shocks people who do not know you in the midst of crisis. Give us receptive ears to hear what Tony has for us now. In the name of your mighty son who has given us the victory, amen. Amen. Thank you, Brandon, for leading us in that and thinking about what the, what the average Hebrew, what the child of Israel thought when they were butted up against the Red Sea and saw behind them the horde, the superpower of the ancient world, Egypt, the mightiest army coming in to destroy them. Friends, know this. This story that's recorded in Exodus, that is really the theme, the whole subject of the book of Exodus, this is more than a historical happening. And yes, I promise you, uh, being a religious studies major, history major in college, I can tell you and affirm to you, the crossing of the Red Sea is considered by historians as an incredible historical fact attested to through the annals of history and the annals of time. It's more than a historical happening. This is a, more than a Bible story that we teach our children in vacation Bible school and, and Sunday morning hours. It's more than, more than a story that we teach those who are new to our faith. What happened in and around the Red Sea has implications and lessons for us today. The reality is there is no escaping it, it, it. The reality is painful and disturbing things surround us every day. Our own Red Sea looms behind and before us 
while the enemies of illness and disease, depression, financial distress, losses too many to sort out and too great to be numbered come rushing in upon us. All of these things are strong enough and big enough to defeat us. But it's worse than that because it's the inner turmoil and the constant temptation to doubt God's goodness, his wisdom, and his provision that make us desperately strained for relief and for mercy and for respite. In this moment, this very moment, the Lord brought to mind the early Hebrews who I believe knew well what it was like to lose hope as they stood before the Red Sea. Not long after the Lord had incredibly and miraculously delivered them from their cruel slave masters, they found themselves facing imminent death, walled in by an impassable sea, and enemies closing in behind them as Brandon attested to in his dramatic monologue. And what did, how did they respond to Moses? Well, they responded, we see their response in Exodus. The children of Israel said, was it because there were no graves that Egypt, in Egypt that brought, brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt, they ask. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better, the children of Israel said, for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Recorded Words recorded from Exodus chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. Now, hear me clearly. I don't, don't want to stutter through this. I don't want you to think I'm siding with their thoughts or saying I agree with the Egyptians there or the Israelites. The, their view was irrational and distorted at best. They forgot the pain and the evil that they faced every day as slaves. They spoke out of a very real sense of fear and helplessness. And friends, what a reminder for today. When fear and helplessness rule our lives, we can do some very disturbing things, can't we? We can act like people we're not meant to be when we feel hopeless and helpless. These children of Israel, they wondered why would God free them from Egypt only to lead them to their deaths by the sea? And oftentimes we wonder that. God, why would you bring us to this point only to reject us or to abandon us at this moment? And in that point in the, the Hebrews' mind, slavery sounded better. Can you relate to that feeling? I sure can. I know what that moment is like in my life. Just as the Hebrews stood helpless before the Red Sea, I too have stood helpless before life circumstances. Why would a God who loved me enough to save me lead me into such awful and terrible times would be wandering around in my mind and in my heart. I would ask myself those questions often. And I recognized I was unable in those moments to save myself or to lead my family and my loved ones through the catastrophe that was in front of us. And as much as I wish I could say that my response has continually reflected Moses' words to this complaining people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. I confess to you today that I often did not take this approach. Instead, I fear the situation would never be solved. 
I thought that the pain that I was enduring in that moment would never subside. And I would wonder, God, are you here in this moment right now? Are you really fighting on my behalf? Do you care? Do you know what I'm going through in this moment? Are you able to do something about this? Through this situation, through these situations, I've learned and am learning an important lesson. And here's a lesson we all need to learn and reaffirm in our hearts and our lives often. And that is that we are helpless to save ourselves. And here's another truth. We are helpless to save our families. We are helpless to save our friends. Whether it's talking about a traffic jam that messes with your day or a life filled with inescapable pain, God often brings us to impassable seas to help us see our need for him. This, I believe, was the purpose for the Red Sea and for the Hebrews. And I believe that's the purpose for the Red Seas that you and I face on a regular basis in our lives. So how do we respond when we see no way out, when we see no hope this side of heaven? What do you do? What are we to do? I believe we need to see, to stand, and to trust. We are to see God's leading in our lives, friends. Your circumstance, make no mistake about this, your circumstance are not cosmic accidents. You, have made, you may have taken a wrong turn in your life, and there may be consequences for decisions in your life, but in most cases, there have been no wrong turns. And in any case, God has brought you to the place he has for reasons beyond what you and I may be able to see at this point. As he was with the Hebrews, God is intentional in all that he does in your life. I'm convinced of this truth. And I'm also convinced that God is with you. If you are with Christ right now, if you've confessed Christ into your life and you would call yourself a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, I am convinced that God is with you in this very moment leading you. Though there may have been easier routes, that would have been more preferable to take and made more sense in your eyes. God has chosen this path to accomplish his good purposes in your life, to show you more of himself, to change your heart and to change my heart in ways better circumstances might never address. God chooses routes to reveal his glory to us and to those around us. So let's not be so focused in this life looking at the routes of other people that we would rather have, right? You know, it'd be easy for me to look at Brad Pitt's life. He was a Springfieldian, wasn't he? And there'd be times where would be like, Lord, why, why didn't you, why wouldn't, why wouldn't you just change that? Why wouldn't you, what make me Brad Pitt? I'm just as good looking, I think, in my own world, in my own life. Why, why won't you give me his, the opportunities that was present to him? Give me Give me his experiences. Give me his opportunities, God. But hear me, when we start going down that road, friends, that's stinking thinking, okay? That's terrible. That's terrible route for us to take. Because if we miss out on the process that God has put us through, then we miss out on what God is doing in our specific life. 
So not only do we see God's leading our life, I believe we also need to stand firm and wait expectantly. Scripture describes a threefold process of redemption for God's people, the past, the present, and the future. I say it this way when I talk to people on a one-on-one basis. It can be kind of confusing, but I'm convinced as we look at God's word, we see that God has saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us in the future. In his present and future works, we must stand firm when real and present dangers threaten us. How do we do this? Oh, this is, this is the meat here, folks, so pay attention. What do we do in times when we are standing and we our knees are shaking, our teeth are chattering, we, our faith begins to buckle, we're about ready to cave in because we just feel like everything is, come, is rushing in on us and we are going to collapse? This is the first thing. First thing, fix our eyes on God's promises that he has made us. So what does that mean? You can't claim a promise that God has made us in his word unless you do what? You get into his word and learn those promises, right? You get into God's word, find them in scripture. And even when you are doubting his very goodness, do what? Submerge yourself into his word. I promise you, if you take that practice alone and you begin to apply it in your life, there will be a difference made. You will find a relief. You will find a, a moment of oxygen, just like pure oxygen coming to someone who is, who is dying of air, for lack of air. You will get a fresh, a fresh breath of air if you just simply do this practice. Begin opening up God's word, looking for the promises he's made for us in our lives. It will change you. I also say this, not only should we fix our eyes on God's promises, we fight against fear by surrounding ourselves with truth with truth. So what I would challenge you to do, and hear me clearly, you know, those of you who have been around for a while, you know your pastor doesn't live in an ivory tower that I just, all I do is I just sing praise songs and I just pray and I just read scripture 24 hours a day. I mean, I, 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 I love some TV shows out there, right? I love, uh, I made no bones about it. I, I'm, I'm a fan of secular music and I listen to music, top 40 stuff. And I listen to bands that make Doug embarrassed with me when I talk about, you know, Backstreet Boys and I talk about some of those groups. Uh, he just shakes his head and just is like, oh, I can't believe you're my pastor, Tony. I, I understand that. And I, I you know, I, I like those things, but I have come to the realization that while I understand that consuming some of these things, I, I view it this way. Media, media, there's there's good media. There's just like food. It's like food here. There's healthy food. There's food that we need to take into our lives because it makes us healthier. It makes us whole, right? And there's media and there's things out there, Christian worship, scripture. There's there's d- things out there that as we take those in, it's, it, it, it revitalizes us. It sustains us. I also realize there's media that's poisonous out there, just like there's things that we can consume that's poisonous. You know, when I was growing up, I would argue death metal bands, right? Heavy, that heavy, heavy, hardcore, dark music stuff. That was poison. That's toxic. You can see it when a teenager would submerge their life into this music where it's about death and suicide and, and, you know, satanic influence. You could see these people just downgrade and just, you see them, their lives just spiraling out of control. But there's a whole set of music, there's a whole set of media, there's a whole set of YouTube videos of entertainment out there that's in the middle. It's junk food. It's junk food. Hear me, it's like like consuming going to the fair and eating cotton candy. Hear me clearly, when Dax and Dana and I go to those fun places, 
Dax and I, not so much Dana, but Dax and I, we eat some cotton candy, right? And we enjoy it. And it's good. And eating some cotton candy is an okay thing to do. But the problem is, if we're constantly eating a steady diet of cotton candy, we're going to get unhealthy really fast, right? Here's what I'm saying, friends. Like for me, my personal life, I'll occasionally throughout the week, I'll consume some cotton candy. Well, in this season, when truth has to superabound in life, when I realize there's some people that's going to be around me in my congregation, there's people around me in my neighborhood, there's people who I influence that are going to really need some people who are standing up and standing tall and standing in the gap, people who are, are, are willing to stand for truth, that I better probably quit consuming the cotton candy and just be totally focused, totally focused on fixing my eyes on the truth and allow only things of truth into my mind. And I would challenge you to do the same. Perhaps there's, a, perhaps there's some medium that you're taking in on a regular basis. I'm not saying that you stop it forever and that, you know, just get part. But I'm saying during this season, when there's so much pressure for us to go into a hopeless malaise, maybe you just turn those things off for a season in your life and commit yourself to only listening and only taking in truth into your life. I would also say this that we need to resist numbing ourselves with worthless distractions to avoid the feelings of helplessness and emptiness. I'm going to just put it out there. You know, as a church, we've not made a big deal, a big deal at all about alcohol. Never have. I, I'm convinced that uh, there's a lot of sin in people's life that will separate you from God far beyond drinking a can of beer. And so we've just not made a big issue about that in 15 years. But periodically, we do remind ourselves and we take strong talk about this. Here's, here's what I would tell you as your friend, as your shepherd, as your, as your pastor. As I realize in America, there's some of us, even Christ followers, who we have the, we, we're provoked that when we have a tough day, when we are stressed out, what do we do? We turn to a can of beer, we turn to a glass of wine, we turn to maybe a prescription pill that our doctor has told us that it's right for us to use and it's safe for us to use. But when we feel like the chips are down, what do we do? We begin to find those things to be sources to calm us and to soothe us. We begin to allow those things to become to take places in our life that they should never take. We find ourselves dependent upon them to give us hope and to give us relief. And this is what I would say. You, you could push back on me and say, Tony, I'm not an alcoholic I, and, and I'm, I don't have a problem with alcohol. First of all, I didn't say that. But I would say this. I would ask you that if you find a glass of wine or a can of beer as being your relief and a distraction from the tough things in the world, perhaps you're using that to numb your senses, to numb your reality, and what you should do is turn to the living God instead of that. I would also tell you this, what do you do to stand firm and to wait expectantly? Stay in community with God's people. Now, that could look like all sorts of different things with technology today, thanks to streaming media that we have available to us, thanks to 
telecommunications that we have before us. But do not, do not, do not take your family, go into your house, lock your doors and say, I'm going to sit this one out for the next three or four months and avoid contact and avoid communication. The enemy loves to see us separated. When we are separated, we, we are alone. That's when we are ripe to be picked off in spiritual warfare. But stay with your community, with God's people, because they will impart truth to you and they will comfort you. And in turn, you will impart truth to them and comfort them. They will undergird you with prayer today. So we look hopeless circumstances in the face and ask the Lord to anchor us in truth, that he will have the last word rather than giving way to our emotions and to our fears. And I finally conclude with this. I say, as we stand firm and wait expectantly, let us trust in the future deliverance that God has for us. In Christ, we have been saved eternally. We will never lose this salvation. I am convinced of this. I have great confidence in this. Just as God has saved us and sealed us in his grace, we can await future acts of redemption and deliverance from those Red Sea problems we face within life. So we must choose to trust and rest in the very place that God has us, waiting for him to show his faithfulness. When we are tempted to fall back into old patterns, when we lose our bearings or just falter in life, we can lean on the Savior's grace to strengthen us, to forgive us, to teach us to rest in him. We must view our circumstances through the lens of the gospel and his kingdom. If you are in Christ, friend, you can press in on the firm hope that one day you will be free from the problems and the travails of this world with all its hurts and all its troubles. Friend, hear this clearly. You will never hear the lie of false belief that plagues so many congregations in our community, in our, in our country the false belief that says, if you just believe a little bit harder, you will get the job that you desperately want. Or if you just, just press in a little longer in prayer, then God will heal the disease within your body when, when you command it and on your timetable and on your schedule. You, you will never hear a lie like God's ultimate Goal for you is financial blessing. No, believe this, friend. We are convinced in this church that his greatest goal for you is to save you and to redeem you and to make you into a living image of the firstborn son, Jesus Christ. And sometimes this can only happen when we face Red Seas. He promises to be your God, yes, absolutely. He promises to provide what you need in his perfect timing, absolutely. And we can trust him that he will be faithful. When the Hebrews came through those parted waters of the Red Sea, you know what they did? They pulled stones from the seabed and placed them on the shore as a marker for future generations. And so today I'm asking you to perhaps... Put a marker down for this moment as we think about what we're facing today in our lives, whether it's something that, that the whole community's talking about, such as the coronavirus or financial and economic instability, or perhaps you're dealing with your own personal Red Sea that no one has a clue about. 
And it just happens to be at the same time that all this stuff is coming down in our lives. I'm asking you, there's cards around you. You should be within an arm's reach of a, of a note card. And what I'm inviting you to do is to record, when the band comes up here and starts playing, to record a prayer request on your card. You can write your name down if you'd like. If you'd rather be anonymous, you can also do that. We don't need a name on the card. And if you're dealing with a Red Sea right now, you're dealing with some kind of problem, I'm going to invite you to let us know that. And here's what we're going to do. At the end of the day, as we're walking out, I would ask you to take that card and just drop it in the offering box. And what we're going to begin doing next week, provided we're here, is we're going to put those cards over there by the cross and by our prayer bench. And between services, after the first service, but before the second service, we're inviting anybody that is so compelled just to come over there for a short prayer time before service or after service. And those people are going to have access to those cards. And you know what? Your prayer request that you're putting down could very well be prayed for by several people in the next few days, the next few weeks, the next few months. Another thing I would ask you to do, when you are recording your prayer request, this is what I'm asking you to do. Do something a little bit different. Don't just share the need on the prayer request, but think about what your need is and share a praise in regard to that need. Put a prayer request as a praise. Put a praise as a prayer request on that card. This is what I'm talking about. For instance, maybe your need is you need money, right? Your house is about to be foreclosed upon. Your kids need shoes and your car is being impounded. You need some money, some quick cash. And you're saying, I need God's people to be praying for me that, that God would give me some provision here. Well, we could just simply say, God, I need provision. But I'm asking you to consider it as a praise. And so perhaps what you do, instead of just writing, God, I need a provision. I need you to deliver me. I need you to give me some cold, hard cash right now, God, that you would say, God, thank you, and I praise you for being my provider. God, help me to see how and when your provision enters into my life today. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. You see, there's just a subtle difference there that I'm asking us to think through. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to close this in prayer, and uh, the band's going to come up here. You stay seated. You think about, is there a prayer? Is there a prayer that I'm having? Is there a need that I could turn into a praise right now? And I would invite you just to fill that out. And then when you're finished, you can join along with the band in this song as we conclude our services. Pray with me right now. Father, we come before you and we thank you, God. You are powerful. You are great. You delivered the people from the Red Sea, the children of Hebrew. Of, the, of Israel, you delivered them by opening up the sea, parting the waters, and they walked through. And so, God, I am convinced of your power. I'm convinced of your might. And in the same way, you can deliver us from our Red Seas. Help us to see your deliverance. Help us to wait upon you for your perfect timing. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.